and he shall be called the word made flesh the one carried in the promise of the prophets in the womb of a woman the one who held a mother's hand and whose feet walked on water the one who bridged heaven and earth the one who fixed his eyes on the joy before him the perfecter of faith the one who was obedient unto death even death on a cross the one who conquered the grave the one who is not just with us but in us who has made us holy the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger the one who is the messiah christ our savior who is coming again he shall be called emmanuel So, Lord Jesus, we magnify you, we honor you, and we exalt your name as Emmanuel, God with us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. You're not a distant God. You didn't stay at a distance. You didn't see our brokenness and wait for a different solution to come about. You yourself stepped into our mess as our Messiah. You stepped into our pain to bring healing and life and renewal. And so we honor you. And as we turn our hearts to celebrate this Christmas week, we remember your first coming as we begin to anticipate your second. And we thank you for being our Emmanuel, God with us. Amen and amen. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1 verse 18, as we kick off week four of our Advent series, we're diving into Jesus, our Emmanuel. Uh, if you're new, first timer, my name's Chris Pletcher. I'm the lead pastor of Antioch Salt Lake, and uh, just thankful to be in this city. We have a conviction uh, surrounding the authority of the names of God. How many of you guys know that your name represents your authority? And so we have a conviction as a team that the, one of the primary ways that we're going to see the darkness subdued under the higher authority of Jesus is by being obsessed with who he is, being obsessed with his names, being obsessed with his character. The more we see him and know him and love him in his being, the more we see the darkness around us begin to be subdued. And Matthew 1 says, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He wasn't quite buying the, uh, you know, the angelic conception deal, okay? But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, 
The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Advent is a season where we celebrate the first arrival of Jesus while anticipating his second coming. I think we have a slide. I just want to put these words before us because as we go into these next six, seven days, I want us to really be intentional about what we're allowing our hearts to celebrate about Jesus, right? How many of you guys have just gone through Christmas before and it was lights and trees and presents and you you wanted it to be about Jesus, but it seemed to be a little bit more about something else. And I think if we can grasp the true celebration at the heart of what we're yearning for and hoping for, we, this next week will mark us in a different way. But Advent is where we celebrate his first arrival while anticipating his second coming. Advent just means coming. It just means arrival. It is a season that recognizes the tension of our hope. We know that Jesus is the true king but we don't yet fully see his rule and reign upon the earth, amen? As we dive into this final week, I'm gonna kind of uh, tie together last week's message on King of Kings, kind of recap a little bit, and hopefully marry it together with his name, Emmanuel, because I really, really believe that if we just see the baby in the the nativity scene, And I I realize there's a cute and special kind of Christmas message, right, with the baby in the manger. But if we don't first see him as king of kings, then we will totally miss how radical the incarnation was. Are you with me? If we don't first see that this was the one true God, the Lord of heaven and earth, all authority above all authority that was humbling himself to take on flesh, we'll totally miss the power of the Christmas story. You see, Emmanuel, God with us, will hit us with so much more conviction and power if we understood that it was the king of kings that had no business lowering himself to be in that position in the first place. You know what I'm saying? So last week we read in Matthew 16, there was this powerful conversation that Jesus had with the disciples that seemed to define a turning point in his ministry. You've heard it before, Matthew 16, when Jesus came into the district of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but, say it with me, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Somebody say keys. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I believe that what Jesus was saying was not that just Peter himself was going to be a rock. He was a rock of the early church. He was critical in the foundations of the early church. But I believe what he was saying to Peter was actually, Peter, your revelation that you just testified, the declaration of who I am that just came out of your mouth, that is something I can build upon. Last week, we said that your revelation of Jesus is the most important thing about you. 
who do you say that he is? You see, it was only after Peter accurately declared who Jesus was that Jesus in excitement said, ooh, 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 I can give my keys to you now. Keys represent what? Access. They represent authority. None of y'all could get into this building at two o'clock this afternoon because none of y'all got the key. But I do because I've been entrusted to be an authority in this house. So does Joe. So do a few other people, right? Keys represent access and authority, right? Do you know that Jesus is looking for sons and daughters? Be encouraged. He is actually looking for people on the earth that he can entrust the keys of his kingdom to. We pray all the time, right? Our Father who art in heaven. Come on, join me. Hallowed be thy name. Thy thy will be done on we pray it so much sometimes we don't even know what we're asking anymore do you really understand we are asking for heaven to invade the earth we are asking for the ways of heaven the kingdom the domain of heaven to set up shop on this planet and to invade our sphere and god is looking for people to hand the keys of his authority to. And I believe with Peter, he said, this revelation is something I can build upon church. What if we became a people? What if we became a family? What if we became a house that was growing so much in our revelation of Jesus, that was maturing so much in our ability to steward his kingdom, was growing in humility, the point where God could say, Antioch, Salt Lake, I am ready to hand you the keys to my kingdom. Pete, how old's your oldest son? 13, almost 14. Pete, you got a pretty nice truck, huh? You got a pretty nice Ford, yeah? It's a very nice truck, Pete. I like your truck. Pete, are you about ready to hand the keys of your truck to your 13, almost 14-year-old son? Why not, man? Don't you love him? Isn't he your son? Come on, why not, Pete? Why? Because at 13, almost 14, you're not quite ready to be entrusted with something that powerful. It's not that he doesn't love you. It's that there is wisdom in a father waiting for the right time and maturity to entrust the keys to the son, okay? And I believe God is looking for houses on the earth that will grow in their revelation of Jesus, that will grow in their maturity in Jesus where he can say, oh, okay, okay, Antioch Salt Lake, I can entrust this powerful thing called my kingdom to you. Jesus promised it to Peter. And I wanna talk tonight about three keys to the kingdom. I want you to prepare your heart and to even begin to obsess about this idea of the keys of the kingdom. I hope that in your own prayer life, you're asking God to mature you. You're asking him to show you more. God, what does it take for me to be entrusted to these keys? Because Jesus said a lot about these keys, right? He said these keys would, would actually give you the ability to bind and loose things on the earth, to actually tie up stuff that doesn't need to be here and to loose things from heaven onto earth. 
So church, I wanna talk about three keys to the kingdom. Last week, we started talking about the first one, which is our revelation of Jesus. We're not gonna spend a lot of time on that. If you wanna go listen to last week's message, but look, it was Peter's revelation, his understanding that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. He lived with this revelation that Jesus was the anointed one. That's all that Christ means. It means he was the anointed one. Anointed means to smear. It's a metaphor of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit that rested on Jesus' life. And Jesus was a, did you know that Jesus was a man? Now, he's the son of the living God, which means he was fully God. But do you know that before he, he was fully God, he was fully a man? He was fully a man that was learning how to live in the Holy Spirit. And he was anointed in the Holy Spirit. Hey, let me throw a question at you and ruffle your feathers for a second. You okay with that? What if the miracles Jesus did, he didn't do as God? What if he did it as a man full of the Holy Spirit submitted to his Father. See, we see all the miracles of Jesus and we think, oh, 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 he did that, but of course, because he was God. We're gonna see later that Philippians 2 actually says that he emptied himself of all godly, godness. He emptied himself of the power of heaven. He became a man with the Spirit of God, submitted to God. Did I ruffle your feathers a little bit? Are some of y'all trying to figure out if you like that or not? It's okay. It's okay. He was anointed in the Holy Spirit, and the miracles he did on the earth, he did as a son, full of the Holy Spirit, submitted to his Father. He actually said stuff like, I only do what the Father is doing. I'm only saying what the Father's doing. He was the anointed one. And if I didn't ruffle your feathers too bad, I feel like tonight we're supposed to pray for the anointed one to do some miracles, okay? I, I don't know why, but I was jogging this morning and I just felt like God, so we need to take a moment and ask God to do some miracles, okay? So I'm gonna ask you if you need a miracle or if somebody in your family needs a miracle, I'm gonna define that here in a second, but I'm gonna ask you to stand up in a minute and we're gonna just take one minute and people around you might put a hand on you and we're gonna pray for the anointed one because here's what I'm saying, guys. Peter's revelation of Jesus was that he was anointed to do the impossible. The anointed one in Isaiah 61 healed things that needed healing, set th things, uh, brought freedom where there was bondage. He was able to bring uh, breakthrough into situations that needed to break through. And so if you need a miracle, I wanna ask you, I'm gonna ask you three things. The, the greatest miracle of all is salvation. If there's somebody you're praying for in your family, if there's somebody that you're praying for on your street and you wanna ask God for a miracle of salvation this Christmas, I want you to stand up. Oh man, we need to pray a little bit more. All right, okay. If you are in need of a physical miracle healing in your body and you're comfortable standing up, I want you to stand up. And then third, if you are in need of a relational breakthrough, there is a strained relationship and you need God to intervene miraculously, I want you to stand up. So Jesus is the anointed one. That means, church, what we're about to do next is gonna require some faith because 
Jesus can have all the power in the universe to move something in a second, but if we don't believe that he can, it actually does us no good. So is there anyone in this house tonight that believes that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that he can still move heaven and earth? Okay, church, I want you, if you're close to somebody standing up, I want you to go get next to them real quick, okay? I want you to ask them, is it, you don't have to tell them their whole story. I just want you to ask them, is it salvation miracle, a healing miracle, or a relational miracle? Tell them what it is, and then church, I want you to pray for the anointed one. All you are doing, look, you are just saying, Jesus, you are the anointed one. If you don't know what else to pray, just say, thank you, Jesus, that you're anointed to do the impossible. If you don't have any other words to pray, okay? So on the count of three, just start praying. One, two, three. Lord Jesus, thank you. You're anointed to do the impossible. We ask that you would do miracles today. Thank you, God. We pray for miraculous physical healings in this building right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. I stand on the testimony of the lepers that you healed, of the paralyzed people that you caused to stand on their feet. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus. You're the anointed one. You're the anointed one. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, Jesus, King of Kings. Thank you, Lord. Church, I want you to declare with me. We're gonna declare something together three times, okay? We're gonna declare nothing is impossible with God, okay? And we're gonna watch faith rise in this room. Okay, so keep your hands, if you're praying for somebody, keep your hands on them, and on the count of three, we're gonna declare it three times together. Okay, one, two, three. Nothing is impossible with God. Come on, build your faith. Nothing is impossible with God. One more time. Nothing is impossible with God. Jesus, we thank you. You are still the anointed one. Come on, somebody begin to praise the Lord in this place. You are still the anointed one. You still can change any situation. You still can break through any impossibility. You still can heal any situation. Church, look at me. Look at me, church. Look at me. Look at me. There is an attack in this valley on faith. There is something pressing in that wants us to get our eyes focused on what we can see instead of on him who we cannot see but we know can do anything. Do not let it steal your faith. Some of us need to put a stake in the ground today and say no more. I'm not gonna let this valley steal my faith in the impossible. I'm not gonna let this region steal my belief that God is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do in any situation. Look, now some of us, uh, look, I wanna be encouraging. I came to be encouraging today, look. But some of us need to repent for our lack of faith. And it goes like this. So there's this great story where this man, his son, is, is struggling. And he says to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. If you need to pray that, 
close your eyes across the room. There's no shame. Listen, this is a family. If you need to pray that, I want you to raise your hand with every eye closed. If you need to repent of unbelief today, if you have let your life circumstances or some hard thing kill your faith that God can do something, I want you to raise your hand and pray with me, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Come on, pray it with me again. Lord, I believe you're the anointed one. Help my unbelief. God, I believe that you can change my situation. Help my unbelief. That's such a humble and beautiful prayer. That's such a humble and beautiful prayer. Help my unbelief, God. Help my unbelief. Now put your hand on your heart. God, release faith into this family in Jesus' name. Again, I pray, release faith into this valley in Jesus' name. Our revelation of you, Jesus, is the most important thing about us. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And everybody said, amen, amen. All right, head back to your seat. Give somebody a hug. Give Jesus some praise or something. Thank God. Hey, thank you for being the church. We've said it before, but we just really don't believe in spectator Christianity around here because um, if you believe in Jesus and know him, that means that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And so if you came here and just watched me for 40 minutes and didn't do anything, then we would be missing out on an incredible wealth of anointing and resource of the kingdom. You know what I'm saying? So, hey, if you want to be a part of a non-spectator church, then this might be the house for you, all right? So listen, the second thing about the second key to the kingdom, what was the first? The first key to the kingdom is what? Our revelation of Jesus. The second key I want to talk about tonight is our submission to his will. His will. I want you to say revelation, submission, and adoration, Okay, that's what we're talking about tonight. Three keys of the kingdom of God, okay? Revelation, submission, and adoration. Listen, Jesus is the most high God. He came once as the suffering servant, the baby in the manger. I felt the the Lord impress this upon my heart to say this tonight. How many of you guys know that when he comes his second time, he's not coming as a baby? Okay, listen, listen, listen. Do not get lulled to sleep by the Christmas story of the sweet baby in the manger. That was his first advent. He came in humility to lay down his life as the suffering servant to be the sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. He came low the first time. Church, do you know in his second advent, he's not coming as a baby, okay? The Bible actually says in Exodus 15, verse three, that the Lord is a warrior, okay? The Bible says in Psalm 24, okay, verse nine and 10, lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the who? The king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? He is the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. I want you to know that the Lord of hosts is his battle name. The Lord is a warrior and the Lord is a judge. Now listen, the gospel is a beautiful thing because Jesus came first in mercy. So much mercy. 
Church, we have to have a proper revelation of Jesus. He will come last as judge. And that is a good thing that we need and want because this earth is run rampant and is broken by darkness and we need a good, a righteous, and a just king to enter in and set things straight. He's not coming as a baby, round two. Psalm 9, seven through eight. The Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for what? Justice. He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. Psalm 94, one through three. O Lord, God of vengeance. O God of vengeance, shine forth. Do you know that it is okay to cry out for justice on the earth? Do you know that it is okay in the face of rampant darkness surrounding our globe, rampant wickedness, rampant deception, rampant manipulation, power grabs left and right to steal freedom and life and liberty from people. It is okay to bang your fist in your prayer closet and say, oh God of justice, shine forth. Verse two, rise up, oh judge of the earth. This is scripture. I didn't write this one, okay? Repay to the proud what they deserve. Oh, Lord, how long shall the wicked, Lord, how long shall the wicked exult? Be encouraged, church. Your God is a God of justice. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the Bible says he sits on a throne and the foundations of his throne are what? righteousness and justice. Now, he sits on the throne of grace. Amen. He sits on a mercy seat. Do you know that? God is merciful, but the foundation, his throne would crumble, and his kingdom crumbles without righteousness and justice. So when we're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, Key number two, there has to be a submission in our heart to the righteousness of the king. We cannot pray in integrity, your kingdom come, and not pray your will be done. His kingdom is where his will rules and reigns. Your will is simply what pleases you. Do you know that God has a will? He has things that please him and things that do not please him, okay? So if he is the Lord of hosts and Jesus paid for this earth to rightly belong to him again, right? But right now, this earth is currently being ravaged, stolen, killed, and destroyed by the darkness, okay? Do you think that when the judge returns, when the king returns to claim what it is, earmuffs, earmuffs, kids, I'm just kidding. He might be a little ticked off. He might be ready to execute vengeance. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Emmanuel, he came so lowly in mercy, and we've been singing that tune for a couple thousand years. God, he is so merciful, guys. He is so gracious. He has paid for all. If you've never heard the gospel clearly before, God became a man. He humbled himself to the point of death on a cross because you and me, 
we have sin, we have rebellion, we have things in our life that are worthy to be judged and condemned because they're wicked and they're not honoring to God. We don't have time for, for me to tell you all the things in my testimony that deserve God's justice. But instead of giving me justice, he gave me, offered me mercy through Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection. And it says that all who call upon the name of the Lord are saved from the penalty of their sins, from the judgment and justice they deserve, they're saved. And that message has been resounding. God is merciful, church, do you know that? God is gracious, do you know that? And hear, and hear, me, hear me on this. Our mandate as the church is to carry the call of his mercy, okay? It is carry the cry for his mercy and it's to preach the gospel of grace. But we need to have a revelation of him that is accurate to the coming king of kings. Are you with me? He's not coming as a baby, there are things that please the king. That was a little tangent, sorry. And there are things that don't please him. Stay with me, okay? There are things that please the king. And I want you to just, I'm gonna go through a quick list, okay? Check this out. Ephesians 5. I love the posture of this passage here in Ephesians 5. It's gonna get a little heavy for a second, but, but stay with me, okay? Do you believe that God, his kindness leads us to repentance, Okay, do you believe that it's a good thing to have clarity and truth on what pleases, let me ask you this, church, do you wanna know what pleases God? If you don't wanna know, we'll hang out with you in the lobby afterwards, okay? Like, you probably just can leave right now. But if you want to know what pleases God, we're gonna get honest for a second. Now, there's no room for condemnation here. There is only room for confession here. But the point is this, if God is looking for keys to his kingdom, we cannot be entrusted with those kings, if, with those keys, if there's not a submission to his will that, that what pleases him. Are you tracking with me? It is a key part of our understanding. Check this out, Ephesians 5. You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the what? In the kingdom, we're talking about the keys of the kingdom, right? Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Hang in there, hang in there. Do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. Check this out. For the fruit of the light is found in all, say it, say it with me, that is good and right and true. Verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Be encouraged. You have been rescued from darkness. You were darkness to be children of light. And our job now as children of the light is to walk around and figure out, did you see that in verse 10? What it is that pleases God. There's a discernment process of what pleases God. And so here, check it out. We saw it very clearly in that passage, but purity pleases God. Purity is a mark of children of the light. Impurity is a mark of the darkness. It doesn't please God. There's not room for condemnation here. There is room for confession. We're gonna talk about what it means to walk in the light in a second. 
There's a second thing here. Purity pleases God. Check this out. Romans 14, 17. Don't you love it when the Bible just tells us straight what things are? It says this. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Somebody say, righteousness pleases God. If the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice, righteousness pleases God, right? Purity pleases God. Righteousness pleases God. Check this out. Romans 12.10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Somebody say, honor pleases God. This was a cool moment up here with the Pearsons, and there was something in the room that was special that was happening because why? Honor pleases God. Okay, purity pleases God, righteousness pleases God, honor pleases God. Hebrews 11 says this, without faith, it is impossible to what? Please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Guys, faith pleases God. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard. Look at this. Verse three, it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing. Church, look at me. Look at me. Do you know that unity pleases God? It pleases his heart so much that in the place of unity, he commands a blessing to rest there. So say it with me. Purity. Righteousness, honor, faith, unity. They please the king. I asked you, do you want to know what pleases the king, right? When we come and say, thy will be God, teach us what pleases you. And then we begin to order our lives, check this out, around the things that he loves. If we're building a house around the things that he loves, do you think he might want to hang out there? Do you think maybe if we can grow into that kind of maturity that he might entrust the keys to his Ford to us? You know what I'm saying? It's growing in what pleases him. Are you tracking with me, guys? All right, hang in there. Look, if there are things that please the king, then there are by nature things that do not please the king, right? Romans 8. Those who live according to the flesh, this is verse five through eight, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not what? Remember, what was the second key? That, the second key to the kingdom. Submission to the will. Hang in there. Look at the last verse here. It cannot. Verse eight, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Guys, I'm not trying to bash anyone. I'm, not, I'm just trying to bring the word of God to us and show us that God, Emmanuel, is the king of kings. There are things that he likes, and there are things that do not please him. And if we want to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right here in Salt Lake, Lord, give me the keys to the kingdom. I'm ready. I'm 14, and I'm ready for the Ford. And he's like, but you're still dabbling in impurity. Why would I entrust you? 
you're still dabbling in dishonor and gossiping about people and talking about people behind their back. There's still all kinds of division and disunity because you guys can't get over yourself and get behind the anointed one, Jesus. Why would I entrust you with the keys? Okay, you see what I'm saying? There is a connection between what pleases God and our ability to submit to that and his willingness to give us the keys. So we say we want revival in the valley. Do you want it that bad? We say we want to see his kingdom come. Well, no, thy will be done. I mean, I, you mean not my will, but your, we, it's, it's, a, it's a package deal. Are you with me? So here's, here's the encouragement. Here's the encouragement, okay? Why don't you guys go ahead and stand up? And band, y'all come up here. Because wow, it's 523. It's like a time warp up on this stage. I'm like trying to get through the same message from last week. But hey, is God speaking? Can you just, are you hearing me? Now look, look, I've already said it on purpose multiple times. This is not a room, there's no place for condemnation because we believe in Jesus, okay? And the Bible says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So look, if you have, if, if that list of stuff is like, oh gosh, ouch, Dude, join the club, okay? Join the club. Do you think I'm not on this same journey with you? Do you think everything in my world is perfectly pleasing to God all the time? Come on, I'm still on the journey with you. Let me tell you a little bit about my journey and what it looks like. If you're on our prayer team, I want you to go on the side walls, not up here this morning, okay? Side walls. Listen, this is how community happens if we wanna be a people that are, that are committed to thy will be done. Church, before we go any further, do you still want thy kingdom come? Do you still want thy will be done? Do you still want to be entrusted with the keys? Then this next step is critical for us because look, there are things in our life that if we're honest, we know we're off. We know don't please him. And so this is the beauty of what we call walking in the light. This is my favorite hobby actually over the last 10 years is learning how to do this well. Because just like you, I'm not perfect. Just like you, I fight my flesh. Just like you, I have temptation thrown at me every single day. The only difference might be that I've learned to love the light and embarrass myself so that I can be free. And some of you are still hiding in yourself thinking that if you came into the light, you'd be rejected or something. And so literally, this is my lifestyle. It says, 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from you guys. This is the message of the baby in the manger. Okay, look, I know this seems like an odd pairing, but this is the message of the Lord of life who came to lay down his life. This is the message of the coming King of Kings, okay? That you don't have to hide in your sin alone. You don't have to wrestle with the darkness on your own. It says this, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie, and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' son does what? Oh, somebody should be excited about this scripture. Come on, I'm gonna read it again. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. Some of you don't have any real, authentic, meaningful relationships. You know why? It's because you're not being truly authentic and vulnerable and walking in the light with anybody. You can't have true fellowship if you're hiding your real self. 
fellowship is in the light, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from some of our sin. Is that, oh, that's not what it says, huh? Somebody read it with me and get excited about the gospel one week away from Christmas, that in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the resurrection and the life, that in the light, he cleanses us from all sin. Come on, somebody, all of your sin. I don't care how bad you are, how good you think you are, your worst, most embarrassing, darkest moment, the blood the blood it's why he became a baby do you know that that baby became a man and it was the blood it was the blood that made a way Oh man he sits on a throne of grace and the message is mercy right now the message is mercy and so we walk in the light. He says this, oh my gosh, verse eight, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us. Look, we don't have time. I'm sorry, we're, it's, it's almost 5.30. But I could go through this whole list, purity, and I could tell you about how lust ravaged my life and how I was a new believer in college. And any time I would try to worship Jesus, I would become attacked literally with lustful thoughts in a crowd just like this. I'm trying to worship Jesus. And I felt so messed up. I felt so shameful. I said, what is wrong with me? I'm supposed to be here worshiping God. And all I can think about is my perverted past. And I was so full of shame until one day I grabbed one of my friends because I read this passage where it said to walk in the light and get cleansed. And I said, look, man, I know this sounds crazy, but every time I step into a room and worship, all I can think about is lustful, perverted, crazy stuff. Guys, I'm telling y'all, he said, you are forgiven. You are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. He said, I love you. I forgive you. That's not who you are, but this is the best part. I'm not joking with you. It literally never happened again after I brought in the light. It never happened again. Because when you walk in the light, things change, things break. I've got a whole list. I could tell you about my unrighteousness, cheating on my freshman physics test. I could tell you about dishonoring bosses that were my authority. I could tell you about when fear gripped me and I let it have its way instead of walking by faith. I could go down the whole list of my whole life. There's no shame. It is a lie that you have to hide. Here's how we're gonna close. Matthew 2, I'm bringing it back to Christmas, I promise, okay? Matthew 2, verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child, baby Jesus, and Mary his mother, and they fell 
down and worshiped him. Here's how we're gonna close. To worship means to bow down. You don't have to bow, but we're just gonna close by worshiping King Jesus. But if there's something in your life that would keep you from bowing right now, these guys are available on the side because when you walk in the light and say it out loud, things change. We put them on the side of the room because that's not the point. Okay, some of you need to go and have a moment and walk in the light, and some of you just need to bow and worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Emmanuel. We're following in the footsteps of the wise men on that first Christmas, and we're bowing before the King. So we honor you, Emmanuel, God with us. There's no one like you. We give you our love. We choose humility. We know that humility paves a pathway for your kingdom and that pride puts up walls that would keep the king out. So we say, Lord, let our walls come down and let our hearts bow in worship.